AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening in. This is a very special uh, edition of uh, the Classic Car Show. Then everyone that uh, Jim and I work in vertically to is a special edition because we made it one more week. Uh, it, it is, and our uh, partner, the Brill Cream Kid, isn't here. Well, you know, but his grease spot is still here. <laughs> and we're referring to, to the one, the only Mr. Steve Ronaldo. Uh, as many of you know, he's on the uh, AACA uh, CA, uh, Board of Directors, or, or was, and will be back. But uh, this is also a very special show in that we continue our uh, attempt to get people interested, and particularly kids. We're very, we're very uh, eager to have kids understand and explore the classic car hobby and industry and understand how important over the years uh, classic cars or cars have been to our country and we are delighted today to have the director of the Canton, Ohio, Canton Museum, Canton Classic Car Museum and uh, the director is Char Lutzenheiser. Did I say it right, Char? Oh, I was so impressed. I'm absolutely impressed with that. Yes, it was correct. Well, that was my... But you can call me anything. I answered anything, especially Rockefeller, so there you go. Well, I tell you what, if people go to your website, and I wish they would, I'm on your website right now on the laptop, and it's cantonclassiccarmuseum.org. It's cantonclassiccar.org. No museum in there. Oh, no museum, Okay. But it is a museum. So anyway, you can, it is uh, a museum. You can go to the website and sort of follow along with us as uh, we interview Shar, uh, and, and uh, we're just delighted to have her on. And, we, you know, it, what you're doing and all the rest of the directors and all the rest of the museums across the country, uh, and many of which we have and will be interviewing as time goes on, um, this is so, so vitally important in my opinion. And and as we're seeing things uh, progress today in, in, in our world, uh, we can look back, and, and it's so easy to say with classic cars that history repeats itself. And, uh, you know, we've seen that with the revolution of um, from cars to manufacturing to electronics in, in all areas. And uh, it, it was... The automobile was a revolution, and I want to personally thank you, and, and I'm twisting Jim's arm, he's thanking you too, um, for doing what you do and, and being able to present such a uh, important part of history. So with that being said, Jim? Well, I would like to talk about the cars that you have there, Char, and I noticed one of your featured vehicles is a Chrysler Custom Imperial, and you've got a Cord, and... Uh, both of those are very unique cars, Accord especially. Right. Are those your well, two, your two main focal points, or can you elaborate a little bit, please? Well, you know, Jim, to be honest with you, um, 
first let me start out by saying that the Canyon Classic Car Museum is so much more than cars. And, and unfortunately, you know, car guys like all of us will travel halfway across the country or wholly across the country to look at a, a car or a museum. But there are a lot of people that aren't. So fortunately at the Canton Classic Car Museum in Canton, Ohio, we have thousands of pieces of antiques and memorabilia. So wow. with that being said, when you walk in the door, you're inundated with stuff to look at. In fact, you'll see things you had, your parents had, your grandparents had. It just truly is a stroll down memory lane. And to segue into that, we've got a bunch of great old cars. And as far as focal points, um, they are obviously magnificent cars. The 32 Chrysler Imperial actually is Walter P. Chrysler's personal car. And the Cord, of course, is my favorite domestic car. Um, just great designs, great lines. Of course, you know, we have to give E.L. Cord credit for the L29, the first front-wheel drive car. And, of course, the... Uh, supercharged 812 is front-wheel drive, that beautiful coffin grill, which is pretty controversial, um, you know, just the, the great lines, the sleekness of that car, but we have a lot of really interesting cars that, that draw people in to, to look at them, and those are probably two, uh, but there's quite a few more that people find very intriguing that are actually ones indicative to Canton. So, um, but when people come in, um, they're in awe over the court, because, you know, as you stated, David, you know, people history repeats itself. And when you look at cars like the Prowler and the Viper, you know, they sort of look retro. And when you look at that cooler, a lot of kids think those are one of the, you know, they think it's a Viper or something. Uh, so they're looking at history repeat itself today, and they find that really, they find that a really cool car because it doesn't look like a typical 37 automobile, as you guys well know. Right. Sure, so, uh, I've got to interrupt on this. And, and I'm ashamed of my, my co-host here that he didn't go into this. The question has to be asked, how did such an attractive young lady like yourself become the director of a car museum? Most ladies say if it if it involves grease, you get somebody else to do it. And uh, well, um, first uh, let me take a little cough here and say thank you for the young lady part. Um, I have been at that museum twenty seven years, and I want to assure you that I was five. You started it too. <laughs> If, if you're going to buy that, I'll, I'll go with that, all right? Um, and the museum did open in 1978, so we have been there 35 years, but I've been there 27 of those. Um, I've been a, a gearhead my whole entire life. I was, uh, I'm was i an only child, so I was raised by a father who loved automobiles. In fact, we used to go to the car lots after church on Sundays, and, and he'd quiz me and tell me what was different from one year to the next. And uh, I went to my first race when I was three. Uh, in, in Bristol, Tennessee, so my whole life has been around automobiles and, and engines and fast. In fact, I have a nickname. Uh, in fact, I'll quiz you guys. I'm named after a race car driver from the 20s who smoked a Stokey, and he was from Ohio. Barney and, Oldfield. Yeah, that's my hero. In fact, uh, my nickname as a child on my tricycle was Barney. So, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> I love that's, it. Uh, <laughs> wait a second. Where did you keep your dolls? Dolls? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, I had racetracks, and you know, back then they didn't have cars. For so if I had a doll, I made a car out of a shoebox. So no, I had racetracks. I didn't have doll babies. Well, do so, you still uh, smoke cigars? Fortunately, now I'm going to make you weep. Are you ready? Yep. I married a man who does not like automobiles. Are you? That, Whoa. That, that's sacrilege. I know. Well, but it, that's it, it, that's familiar because I married a woman that doesn't like automobiles. <laughs> yeah, 
it is difficult sometimes because I, you know, like my children, they'll say, you know, the, the people will ask them, are, are your kids in the cars? And I'll say, well, they are. And my oldest son will say, not as much as our mom. She's almost crazy. Or she's neurotic about cars. And, and I do. I have such a passion. In fact, both my kids are named after cars. And you can dwell on that for just a little while. And we'll just, I'll, I'll let you keep guessing. So. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, my whole, I have diesel in my blood. You know, it's just, it's a passion. And, um. You know, I, as you were talking about children, that passion needs to be reinvented, and it's and it's a difficult sell because those generations were, were losing some, and and I'm seeing them come back. I'm seeing kids get interested in the museum. Um, I try to make the museum very kid friendly in order just to make them feel in a comfortable venue, so they don't find cars boring or you know things like. And I think I think uh, the movies have helped. You know, the, the movies they've come out with the Disney movie and and those kind of things have really helped the resurgence. Just even the names of cars. Um, in the beginning of my tour, I talk about the Hudson automobile, and children uh, 15 years ago would have had no clue who what a Hudson was. But now, because of the Disney movie Doc Hudson, they can associate that that is a car. All right, now tell me who the actor was that was the voice of Doc Hudson. Al Newman. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Well, that's so, neat. Um, um, do you? I guess d- we could. T- Go, go ahead. No, I'll let you go, and, and then it's my well, turn. No, um, you know, I, I think the origins of the, of the museum are, um, are essential, too. Um, you know, there are a lot of museums that are national museums, which, you know, are some of my favorites that we've all been to. But my museum is a privately owned collection, and that says volumes, because there's a lot of private collections that are, unfortunately, no longer around. And uh, the owners of the museum started in 78 with just, a, you know, 40 cars and just a passion, a passion to let people see history and a passion to let people come in and view what they owned. And, and that family has still continued all these years later, and, and we're very grateful for that. And uh, uh, it's something that, that the first generation is now gone, and the second generation, fortunately, is continuing that. And that um, says volumes to me that they're able to and they're willing to, because, uh, you know, museums like this uh, around the country are instrumental in uh, keeping the hobby alive. Well, you know, uh, I mean, cruises and car shows are awesome, but this is a permanent thing. You yeah, know, people and, can permanently come to see this and to look and, and to ingest and to learn, and I think that's essential. But the beautiful the thing... Yeah, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you or talk over. No. But the beautiful thing is you've got memorabilia there that also relates to the automobile of that period, and that's very much like Henry Ford, the Edison Institute up in Dearborn does mm-hmm. a lot of the same right. thing. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Sure. Canton, I'm sure, has summer recreation league programs for the children at Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they ever bring the children or call you and say, could we do a tour? Oh, heavens, yes. In fact, I had, uh, I had seven tours yesterday, and um, on Friday I had three groups of children. And, uh, you know, sometimes, especially during the school year, you know, children used to get funding to come on field trips, and now that's <clears throat> become an issue. So, but we have a lot of inner-city schools in Canton, and they're able to walk uh, all the way from uh, the elementary school level up to the high school level. And, uh, in fact, I do a lot of classes, the history classes, that come in, and they're uh, learning about uh, Henry Ford, or they're learning about the assembly line, or they're learning uh, advertising classes come in. I have college classes come in. I have automotive tech classes come in. Um, so we have a wide variety of, of young people coming in, not just to learn about automobiles, but they're learning about history and about um, 
things that evolved are because of the automobile. You know, we talk about the Lincoln Highway, which I could talk to you for an hour about the Lincoln Highway. And, of course, for those listeners that don't know about the Lincoln Highway, since it doesn't go through your lovely state, it's the first coast-to-coast paved highway in the United States starting in New York City, coming down way through Canton, Ohio. And if you, as you travel west, you'll end up in California. It's 3,389 miles long. And because of that highway, and uh, Carl Fisher, who was the founder of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Henry B. Joy, who, of course, was the president of the Packard Motor Car Company, their vision to do that, it brought travel and hotels and bed and breakfast. And rest. it just changed the whole industry because of a road and automobiles. Yes. Um, it's a you know, it's just amazing. And so children come to adults. I mean, anyone. Uh, we've got a display in the museum along with bricks from the Lincoln. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're clueless. Of course, they know about that other road with those two digits. You know which one I'm talking about. Can I say it? Oh, I don't care. Um, you know, everyone's heard about Get Your Kicks on 66. Yeah. Unfortunately, the history, too, the Lincoln Highway has been lost somewhere in the shuffle. And it did celebrate its 100th anniversary last year. And that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And, you know, the resurgence of that along with the history and what that road meant to America, is vital. Yeah, was to, the, you know, uh, the history of that one. Was the numerical de- designation in Ohio known as, as Highway 30? Correct. Yeah, yes, it, that's, that, it, it, went, it, went, yes. it went through Iowa, too, and Correct. Illinois. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. That, that's... And, it's just, and, that, and that intrigues people. I have a mile marker. And, you know, those mile markers were put up by the Boy Scouts, and the bricks were laid, and, you know, so much... The whole country was involved in this kind of thing, and as it was going through your town, you know, it was a huge celebration, definitely a huge celebration. And so, um, you know, people stop at that display, and they look at it, and they read it, and they read the history, and they're, they're shocked. They're just like, seriously? I had no idea. Um, and uh, it's, sure. it's just a... Uh, we're going to have to take a break here. Uh, I mentioned, I think, that we do uh, every 13 minutes or so. So we'll be back with Shar and the Canton Classic Museum, uh, classiccar.org, after this. <laughs> Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Shar, we're back and we're talking about the Lincoln Highway. Yes. So... Um. Keep going. Please, we did. We, you know, we got to do these commercial breaks once in a while. Or David, I, I talk incessantly, especially when it's about automobiles. I just <laughs> could talk forever. 
and, and I, we're going to maybe I'll segue back to the the museum to um, the history of where that I'd like to discuss uh, if you guys can entertain me and let me do that. We'd love of to. The building that I'm in and how instrumental it was to the Lincoln Highway. Go ahead. Do you, can I do that? Yes, ma'am. The building that the museum was housed in, the owners uh, purchased it in 78, but it had been built in 1900. Uh, it was the largest concrete brick and steel building in Kent, Ohio, and the man that built that building, his name was George Monnet. And Mr. Monnet had, had a bicycle business, because obviously bicycles were instrumental in transportation during that time period. <laughs> and uh, very large building, I'm 24,000 square feet, so it's not a small little building that I'm in, um, but... As time evolved, he decided that bicycles were a great thing, but he charged rent to people in Canton who wanted to store their cars in, the, in this building. He was a very smart man, because if you had an open-air car, let's say like a 1901 runabout on um, Olds, you couldn't drive it in Canton. Uh, you guys are in Atlanta. There's no such thing like four feet of snow down there. Uh, but uh, in Ohio, there's lots of snow. So if you couldn't drive your automobile, and of course houses at that time period in Ohio had no garages, so he charged you rent. He made a huge amount of money. As time evolved, this Lincoln Highway plan came about, and he's thinking, wait a minute. If that really does come to fruition, that road, that Lincoln Highway, that coast-to-coast taped highway is going to be six blocks north of the building that I just built, and they're not going to be peddling bicycles. They're going to be driving automobiles. So in 1914, as that Lincoln Highway did go right through Canton, Ohio, six blocks from the building that the museum is housed in, George Monnet had the vision to turn his building, his business, into a 24-hour service repair garage to service travelers on the Lincoln Highway. Tell me that's not genius. That is. That's incredible. Not only that, there's one more kicker. He wanted to sell automobiles, but to use his working capital took a lot of money. So he wrote to Henry Ford and said, Henry, I can't afford those automobiles put together, but if you send me the parts... I'll assemble them for you. And Henry was a smart enough man to realize he could sell something, make money, and not do any work, and he agreed. So they trained in the parts of the Model T's about six blocks south of my building and brought them up, hoisted them to the second floor, and assembled the Model T's, put them together, and ramped them down and sold them out in the front showroom of what is now the Canton Classic Car Museum. That's incredible. And Monnet and Soccer, that's the name of the two men that own the building, George Monnet and Joseph Soccer, was the largest Ford dealership in the country from 1914 till 1931, right where I'm housed. Wow. All because of the Lincoln Highway. Beautiful. Yep. That, that's Great that's, history. Now, how many cars that were sold out of that building do you think still exist in your area of Model T's well, and Model A's? You know, I'm not sure. Um, the biggest sellers, obviously, were Fords, but the dealership also sold Oakland's, Jeffries, Pages, Chandler's, and Ramblers. Uh, so eventually, as he gained some money and some capital, he bought those other models. I would love to know. But without titles, you know, and that research is just so dead-ending sometimes. Uh, so you know how it is to try to find previous owners. And even, you know, the provenance of automobiles is maddening sometimes to try right. to find. But, right, right. Uh, but- you know what? It, it would be a great thing if you want to check up on that, you guys. That'd be great. So you know, well, you guys want to do some research in your know, time? I'd love to have it. Yeah, we'll have our research staff of thousands <laughs> look it up. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, or we might just bring Steve in. If he can't find it, he'll just lie about it. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, I'm no, that. no. He's an Mr. Greasebutt. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, it, okay. we call him the Brill Cream Kid because he still has a beautiful head of hair. And, and Jim is jealous. Man. Yeah, and I'm jealous because uh, <laughs> you know, all I, I don't get a haircut, I get a Simonize. So, 
But outside of that, pardon me. Turtle wax, huh? Yeah, well, I like Simon Ice. Remember the old okay. Simon Ice paste wax I we do. used to use? When I'm the... not admitting to anything antique. No, yes, okay, I do. All right. Okay, yes. all right, okay. well. Remember, I was five when I started at the museum. Okay. That's uh, right. Uh, was it okay. five or three? Now, wait a minute. I'm a little confused here. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with five. All right, we'll update the bio then. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Well, okay, now, but me being a gearhead, too, You've got other cars besides the Chrysler and the Cord. Can you kind of, like, start with the oldest car you've got and the newest car? I can assuredly do that. Excuse me. The oldest automobile we actually uh, have in the museum is a 1901 Curve Dash Oldsmobile. Right. uh, You don't need me to give you the history that they built. We were built between 1901 and 1907, and they built 16,000, do you? You don't need that. Uh, Um, Just a great car (laughs) to show a lot of history of of Ransom Olds. In fact, a little side note for people that don't know this. um, Ransom, and his middle name was Eli. A lot of people don't know that. That's my game show question. He was actually born in Geneva, Ohio until we moved to Lansing, Michigan, to, to build automobiles. And uh, so that's a, that's a nice history lesson for, for everyone about Ransom Olds. Um, the newest car we actually have at this particular moment is uh, very iconic. People love to look at it, a 1970 Plymouth Superbird. And, of course, we know that in 69, Plymouth wanted to get Richard Petty back on the circuit driving Plymouth, so they aerodynamically designed this automobile for him, putting the spoiler 25 inches from the trunk and then the opposite configuration of an airplane wing, which was so smart and so simple. And uh, it's got a 446-pack, so they built 1,920 of that car. Uh, I prefer the Hemi because, you know, my nickname, right? Right. Barney. Yep. So the Hemi would be much better for me, but I could go with a 440. Um, I actually learned to fly because I didn't think I'd learn to be able to drive fast enough when I was when I was a teenager. Oh, so, my God. Um, yeah. yeah, that worked out pretty well. Good. But uh, And then we've got uh, some great other cars, some really cars that are, are history makers, uh, uh, 65, uh, 64 Mustang, uh, you know, of course, uh, Mustang just celebrated their 50th anniversary on April 17, uh, April 14th, um, 1964 they came out, um, you know, great car, I mean, just think about the, what that did for the United States, for America, 22,000 were sold the very first day, 22,000 people owned a Mustang, that's just incredible. And I, I were uh, one of have, them. Uh, <laughs> David, was, David was one of the 22,000. <laughs> uh, sure, have that car? Sure. Oh, yeah. No, no, I wish I did. I wish I had a lot oh, of cars you know that I owned. But. That should have, would have, could have kept it. But, you know, we don't have a, a bazillion cars in our collection, and we all, right. we all have museums, too. Right. So, Let me ask you, in the museum, uh, the cars that you're talking about, do you all own all of the cars and maintain them yourselves, or, or, or are they just there on uh, uh, from individuals uh, putting them on loan to you? Well, originally when we first opened in 78, um, it's the Marshall Belden family that owns the museum, and uh, he, well, they were all his automobiles, every one of them. And as, uh, as he passed away and things started to evolve, within the last uh, several years, we started to sell some of the collection, and we do have a few on loan now. Um, in fact, the Mustang is on loan, and the Chrysler is actually on loan from the Henry Ford Museum, and we've had that for about, I, I'm going to say, 12 years. So there are a couple on loan. The majority of the collection is still the family owned, and all of the antiques are theirs. So um, I'm thinking I'd like to do other things, you know, um, to keep things fresh. So I brought in, brought in some motorcycles. 
uh, I actually would like to bring in maybe an antique tractor. You know, it's all a part of, of history and all a part of um, the learning curve of, of uh, engines and, and things like that for, for kids and adults. Well, listen, and people can relate to those. You can see, oh, my grandpa had a farm all, my grandpa had a Chalmers, and I remember, you know, I remember those kind of things. So Alan, I think it's nice, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 uh, anyway, uh, yeah. we, for a nominal fee, we, we have an antique broadcaster, Jim Weber, and we could put him on loan to you. Do you all maintain, uh, two, two questions, Char, do you all maintain the cars? And then the second question is, are you looking for more cars? We, we never know who's listening and... As sure. I found out even yesterday, uh, I got a call that it was from a show that we did years ago, uh, and it wasn't this particular show, but another show. So people will download this show. They may listen to it tomorrow. They may listen to it in 10 years or two years or three years. But would you, are you all interested in expanding your collection? And if so, uh, how do they get a hold of you and so forth and so on? Number one, yes, we do take care of our cars. Um, we have a restoration shop. We have garages that we take care of our own automobiles. As far as anyone else's, you know, that's totally up to them. Um, I think yes and no. Um, I do look for other cars. Um, it depends on the space. Right now I'm pretty full, and it depends on what happens. You know, I have a, a contractual agreement with people when it's on loan uh, for a duration of time like any museum would. Uh, so, yes, I guess I, I do entertain the, the thought of, of getting new things in. Usually they're local because of uh, the transportation issues. Uh, but, yeah, I'm willing to look at anything, and I, and I like to change stuff up. So um, I'd be happy to entertain that through an email, and that can be obtained through my website or thechartcantonclassiccar.org. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, always looking for new, innovative stuff, fun stuff, and uh, things that tourists. Uh, you know, we get tourists from all over the world. Because we're um, the home of the Timken Roller Bearing Company and the Diebold Company, which are international corporations, I get people literally from all over the world. I had 30 kids from Ireland um, last week, and uh, I had Germany yesterday, and Sweden, and Switzerland, and England. And I mean, it's just every day there's someone international, which is great. Uh, great history for, for them to come and see things. And we don't have, right at this moment, I don't have any um, foreign automobiles, but still, they like to look at domestic automobiles as well. So, um, yes, I have I'd a question to uh, too. Uh, the Belden family, is that the same family that used to make all the Belden wiring for cars? No, um, this particular family, the, the family that owns the museum, actually owned an oil and gas company. Okay. Uh, it was actually housed right across the street from the museum. Okay. So, not that, right. I mean, I'm sure they're all related in some way, but um, this one was oil and gas. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break in a couple of seconds, but what I'd like to have you think about, actually, two minutes, David said, but I'll, I, I just want to have you <laughs> gather some thoughts on this. We've talked about the oldest car and the newest car and Richard Petty and the design of the Superbird. But let, let's start back with the 1901 Olds, and let's kind of move up. If you tell me you know, what comes next and next in, in succession, because the brass car hobby has really regained some interest lately. And I'm just wondering how many brass cars you have. And then the other thing we might talk about is some of the things like 
the first electric starter, which came out of Ohio from Mr. Kettering, and let's talk about front-wheel brakes and maybe a few things like that that have developed up through the 30s. So if you could, uh, you know, kind of gather your thoughts on that, the oldest cars, and, and work up, and then maybe some of the historical significance of some of the cars. And we've also talked about the first radio that was put into a car back in the 30s, and I'm just wondering if you have any cars in the museum that might have a radio. It's just the historical significance of this. A lot of people don't realize, and, I mean, you get in a car today and you turn the key on. Well, you don't even have to turn the key on anymore. You just push a button, and the, and the thing starts up. And, I mean, everything is, is leading up to becoming a driverless car. But I'd like right. to go back in the beginning from when it started, and the curved dash holes obviously is very primitive. There's no steering wheel. There's no brakes to speak of. Wait a second. We already have driverless cars. That's a lady talking on her cell phone and texting on her other cell phone. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, well, she's also feeding her kids and loading a DVD and, and, right. ch- and changing into her tennis clothes. That's right. <laughs> and put it on me. We, we, we can do it all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And now I'm probably going to get shot when I get home. Yeah, pretty much. You are. <clears throat> Boy, I'll tell you. All right, David, are we going to do a little break? We're we... going to do a break. Okay. Right we'll be right back. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is Michael Gano with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Sure, we're back. Okay, and I'm here. Wonderful. So, Can you hear, can you hear me? I can hear you well. Uh, okay. Let, let's start. We got an 01 Curved Dash Olds, and what's the next car? 
Oh, let me think, because I don't have them situated in chronological order. Um, oh, well, and you're talking about the brass era. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's hugely significant. And, and for a long time, that took a lull. People weren't interested in brass. Uh, they were like, oh, yeah, great. Um, but now you're, you're right. There is a resurgence of that. And we do have uh, a Model T, which, of course, uh, you know, people are, you know, of course, that's one of the most recognizable and known automobiles of the brass era. Uh, I don't think people realize how many brass era cars they were. there were at that time. And of course, they're not familiar that Henry built more than just the Model T and the Model A, that he had PQRNSO, you know, Vs used. Uh, and at one time, we did have a Model S, which was a nice representation of something else, because they're like, isn't that a Model T? Like, no. Um, we're getting a few more brass coming in. Uh, we're getting an Oldsmobile and uh, a couple more, and they're, they're on, coming on loan. So we're trying to expand that. And what I would love to do in the museum, which I think is really significant, is, is putting the A and the T together and uh, showing, you know, Henry Ford's transition through that. And um, let's see, the next one we're going to jump to, uh, 22 Holmes. There you go. I'm going to give him a plug to Canton, Ohio. Uh, Arthur Holmes. I'm sure have you heard of a Holmes boys, Jim, David? No, I haven't. Probably not smart. Yeah. Well, you have? <laughs> we have not. Oh, you have not? I was like, wow, I'm impressed. Okay, now I'm not impressed. <laughs> anyway, um, Arthur Holmes actually worked for H.H. H. Franklin out of Syracuse uh, for seven years as his chief engineer and decided, you know what, I'm smarter, I'm better looking, I'm going back to my hometown of Canton, Ohio, and build my own air-cooled car. There's a key element. And uh, Franklin said, if you do, I'll sue you, because, of course, Franklin had the first, and Mr. Holmes was smart enough to make it a full size. So um, Franklin's have a 92-inch wheelbase, Holmes have 126, so he got away with it. Uh, but a uh, very unique car, you know, a full set of elliptic springs. It has a front-lifting hood and a rear-seat heater. Things that, you know, we take for granted, as you're talking about. No big deal to get in your hood, but to have those side-lifting accordion butterfly hoods and hold them up for, you know, for a while and see them wiggle and see what you do. Uh, the rear-seat heater, great idea, burns your calf. You know, um, wow. things were difficult. Women didn't drive. My grandmother had her first car in 1911 and said she'd rather crank her mule any day than an automobile. <laughs> you know, because of the, you know, people broke their arms, broke their jaws. Uh, we have a 1914 Benham. Oh, you talk about history. Have you ever heard of a Benham? No. They were built one year in Detroit, Michigan. They built 19 of them. Not only did you have to crank this car, okay, which I tell the kids, but you had to individually prime each cup on the engine with gasoline and then crank it to start it. And, you know, people were like, huh? Yeah, you know, I ask kids now, how do you start a car? And, you know, some of them will say push a button, so most of them will still say keys. And when I tell them you have to crank it, they're like, what? Crank? What do you mean? I don't even know what crank is. So right. I have a stationary crank that I let them just feel it. There's no tension to it, but they just feel that. You know, how difficult and, and the kind of tenacity people had just to drive their automobiles, like you said, driverless cars. You know, you had to work at this, and invariably you're going to have a flat tire. You know, if you're not on the Lincoln, you're going to have a flat tire somewhere. You know, they think those tires are just for show. They don't realize <laughs> that they needed those. So then we transition into, we started getting into a lot of, of 30s cars with me. Um, and one of the most iconic cars that people uh, just find in, they're in awe of is a 37 Studebaker. And not just because it's a Stude, uh, of course, but because it's Canton's police car. Oh, wow. So it's fully bulletproof. It's a fully armored car because, boys, if you don't know this, Canton was called Little Chicago in the 20s and 30s, and for a very good reason. Once again, we go back to that Lincoln Highway. Right. Because of that Lincoln Highway, it was easy to get in and easier to get out. Al Capone actually came to Canton, stayed in Canton, and they had tunnels for him to get to the hotel that he stayed at. That's another whole story. But um, this, this Studebaker, uh, people were just in awe of it. They paid $800 for a 37 president, Studebaker president, and they, they put 3,000 pounds 
of 10 gauge armor plating with, you know, all the bells and whistles that go along with, with bulletproof cars. The windows are an eighth, one and an eighth inch thick. The gun ports, the whole nine yards. So great history um, talking about Studebaker. Children don't know about Studebakers. They're like, they have no clue. They've never heard the word Studebaker in their life. So it's a nice segue into, into that. And, and, and they're thinking that bulletproofing is new. Well, it wasn't. They're thinking that steel plating was new. Bullet resistance. They were, they're just shocked that way back, you know, that to them is a thousand years ago, 1937. They can't even comprehend it. The technology we had uh, there. Um, you know, and then you look at, uh, we we go into, we've got everything sort of segregated into, like, we've got a 50s, 60s, and 70s room, and then we sort of throw stuff together, the 14 Venom sort of across from the, the 37 Packer Hearse. We've got a pair of professional cars at the museum. A hearse uh, built by Packer, obviously, but customized by the A.J. Miller Company in Belfountain, Ohio, which was synonymous with professional cars and custom work. Um, oh, 29 Kissel. Uh, you know, Amelia Earhart's first car was a Kissel, and this Kissel, you know, most people have never heard of that. Uh, but then you started getting into the 50s, and then you start talking about the technology of, you know, of all kinds of things, of, uh, you know, the first electric door locks, you know, in 56, we do have one. And, uh, you know, there were, you know, in 58, we had a 58 Ford, and that had the first trunk release. You know, there are all kinds of things like that that people have no clue. You know, they take them for granted. Integrated van seats. You know, I always laugh at the, the women who think that those are, and the men who think those are the coolest things. Well, I have a 1916 Pierce Arrow who has, of course, the jump seats that fold out. And people are like, seriously? And, you know, I like to say there's no such thing as a new idea. You guys sort of touched on that, that things reinvent themselves. Even the flower bases we have in the museum. People are like, you know, what are those? Of course, you know, in the back of cars, there were leather or metal brackets to hold freshly cut flowers. Well, if you look at Volkswagens today, what do they have? Yeah, the Beetle has it. Yeah, the Beetle has it. You know, so all this history, all these kind of things. um, And, you know, we go back to the the curve dash. You know, he manufactured it in in quality and quantity, you know, and it was offered by the pound. What a great advertising strategy. 650 pounds at a dollar a pound, 650 bucks for that curve dash. Um, (laughs) There's just so much on my mind. You know, when you get to the museum, you really do have, and I hate to say this, but that attention thing, because there's so much to look at, and you're like looking at a car, and then you go, oh, look over here, and there's this, oh, look over here. You know, go look at my singing fish. You know, there's just stuff, and um, the automobile sort of placed strategically in between those. Um, We've got a 57 BMW Isetta. You talk about a unique car. People think these smart cars are new. Well, you know, look what Europe did with the Messerschmitts and the BMW Isettas with those little one-cylinder cars that got 70 miles to the gallon, only 53 miles per hour. But, you know, we have, they had great economic cars, and fuel-efficient cars, you know, back in the 50s, and, and most people don't re- recognize that or realize that. Yes. So, um, yeah, in fact... Uh one of the great Izetta restorers we interviewed, oh, about a year oh, really? ago. And uh, he's up in a, in, in a suburb of Cleveland, and I'm having a senior moment now. Uh, <laughs> Pete's Custom Coachwork. And he, Where is he at? Uh, Pete's Custom Coachwork, and he's up just outside of Cleveland. And oh, okay. He has restored some of the most beautiful Isettas, both 300s and 600s, in the country. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and he's known... Ours is original. Pardon me? Ours is original, and I, th- I find it very cute to think that... You remember Steve Urkel on yeah. television? Yes. Remember the show with Steve Urkel? It's really big. 
Um, kids think that he invented that car because that's the car that he drove. So the kids really get a kick out of that and think, oh, yeah, look, the Steve Urkel car. You know, they don't realize. And people who own BMWs really don't want to admit that that's a BMW. So. Well, the funny thing is I remember when they were new – and there were a couple of them in the town I you grew up in. You can remember when the covered wagon was new. Well, <laughs> as, as it says on my resume, I started with Durier in Springfield, Mass. in 1894. So, Well, at least you didn't stop sleep with James Watt, who got the first engine crank in 1782. So. No, no, no. Well, I got a little steamed up over that, though. So. <laughs> Very funny. You and Dolby, okay. Go ahead. I can go on. Forever. Well, I... But, well... By the way, David's last name is not Moxley, it's Malarkey. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to throw a zing in at him once in a while, too. Yeah, yeah we have a good time. All right, we've talked about a, a whole bunch of cars. Now, I'm really going to throw you one. Okay. If, if somebody said, Char, you can have any car in the museum, which one would you take? Well, I sort of already um, laid, laid the groundwork for that, sort of uh, giving you a hint to that. Um, in the museum, uh, my favorite domestic car is the, the supercharged 37 Cord 812. Oh. You know, with a limited production of 196 and just uh, E.O. Cord's vision for a lot of things, even though there was some arrogance in his design, it's just such a, a unique styling. You know, I love 30s cars. That's my era of automobile. I love the grandeur and the opulence and... And with the with the exception of the depression, um, if you survived that, you there was just you know um, just that beautiful those lines. You know, I mean, I look at what right. Edsel, uh, Ford did for Lincoln with his coach companies with uh, Murphy and and Brown and and Judkins and um, you know uh, Dietrich, all those lines, and, and what uh, Rolls and Royce. I mean, uh, what. Um, Duesenberg did what Fred and Augie Duesenberg did with their lines in the '30s, and just magnificent opulent sure. automobiles. And sure. so that I love, but to see that uniqueness that, that EO Cord had that vision to be almost arrogant and say, I'm not making my car look like you guys. Look what I can do. You know, it just, if you look at it, you're, you're just, you know, in awe. And I think most people that come to the museum who have never seen a Cord, uh, you know, an A10 or A12, we do have an A12, um, they're just like, what? You know, what is that car? You know, what year is that car? They can't figure out when they've looked at five other 30-year cars that that, too, segues right into there. So, well, um, uh, it's sure. a, uh, are all of your uh, cars Trader Queens, or do some of them uh, come out and uh, go out and meet the public? Well, um, no, they, I would love to have them out a lot more often. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, I went to see Jay Leno, and uh, I would like to play with my cars like he plays with his. But unfortunately, until that museum sign says Char's Cars, which we're working on, uh, I'm sort of limited. <laughs> but we just, I did take the Camaro out. We have a 69 uh, pace car, uh, Camaro pace car. Uh, I did take that out last Thursday, and I've, I've taken, uh, oh, I took the Bandit car, which is our police car, 37 Studebaker, uh, to a golf outing for a children's benefit uh, last Last year, last summer. Uh, so, yeah, I think the cars need to be exercised. There are four wheels on them for a reason, and that's my theory. Um, so I try to. A museum's very tight. We've got a lot of stuff crammed under a lot of areas, so it takes some finagling. Although this was a car dealership, and it was meant for that, the cars of that era um, weren't quite as large when the museum first started as a, as a business in 
in 1914. The, those little brass arrow cars are a little bit easier to maneuver around. So when you get into the 30s, uh, those are big babies. Those are big boys, big girls. They're uh, they're harder to get out. But no, I do, and I would love to. And um, when people ask, I try very hard to accommodate to get get them out. Sometimes I'm I'm not able to. But uh, I took the police car out, like I said uh, last year, and that was real fun. And the Camaro. And what I'd really like to take is a Superbird, and and I have. But we're not going to tell you that. That's been a long time ago. So. All right, let me ask. I, can, I, I think my skid marks my skid marks are still out in front of the museum. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! At, at your young age, how do you feel about <laughs> being surrounded by? the uh, maturity of some of your curators. <laughs> I'm loving those compliments. Um, you know, I do. In fact, my staff, they are all retired. Uh, and, I, you know, I got the job. Everybody asked how I got the job, which is pretty entertaining. I, I filled out an ad. <clears throat> I actually um, applied to an ad that said, wanted old retired man who knows about cars. I fit none of that criteria except the last one. And so that was a long time ago. But uh, you know what? They're not big car guys. So um, they they love the public. They love the museum. They love the antiques. They always send the questions and everything to me uh, about automobiles. But uh, it's great. And in fact, you know, I have a lot of uh, mature tours. Yesterday I had a, a, a big busload of people from uh, the Cleveland area, all of the seniors. Of course, I, you know, belong to ARP, so let's just talk about that. But... Um, of the senior mode, and, um, you know, it was a mystery tour, and, and this is a, another thing. Uh, it, it was mostly women, boys, I hate to admit that, but the senior group was uh, mostly women, not a lot of men, uh, but it was a mystery tour, and the bus was filled, and I asked them when I got on the motor coach, would you have come had this not been a mystery tour and you had known that it, you were going to a car museum? And what do you think the percentage was that said no? All right, well, let's hold that thought until we get back and everybody can yep. sit there, scratch your head. We'll be back right after yeah. this. Solution Providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director Brent Macy today at bmacy at the IHCC.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Shar, we're back. Okay. All right. Who? What was the percentage of people that said no on the tour bus? I would say there was only about a fourth that said they would have gotten on that motor coach. And that's sad um, because of the negative connotation if you're not into automobiles. And even if car museums don't offer the nostalgia that I do, there's great history. And that's one thing that I try to impress even on children. The cars are rolling pieces of art. No matter what era you have, there's something that's magnificent that's changed on, especially the decades that have that opulence. You know, like our hearse, it's all hand-carved mahogany, the back. You don't see that. That craftsmanship is no longer around. That is those generational things that you pass down to your sons. 
um, didn't happen. It, it's gone. It's a lost art. And, uh, and that's what I tell these seniors. And so as I gave their tour and we got back on the coach to say goodbye, I asked them once again, now if you knew you were coming to a car museum, would you have gotten on the coach? And they all said yes. Great. So just to give automobile museums and the automotive industry um, a chance, I think, is, is what people need to be open-minded and uh, come in and look and look at the, the what they can learn, you know, all those first, you know, like we were talking about, the first star, the first first radio, you know, um, just all the first, and the history that these men, and I say men, you know, because we all know that it wasn't a lot of gals that did anything, maybe Alice Ramsey and her drive, but, you know, we've got, you know, uh, the Dodge Brothers and Billy Durant and, you know, uh, like you said, Durier and, you know, um, Harley Earl, you know, we just got a, a 57 Cadillac in uh, Coupe de Ville on loan. Oh, uh, wow. I just, I just pushed it in. <laughs> no, they drove that one. I sort of pushed it. I put, I have pushed more cars in high heels. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> um, you know, but just his design, just starting with a little sow in 27, you know, and it just, you know, going into everything with the Corvette, with Bill Mitchell, and, you know, just looking at that, um, those designs, those lines, it's just, they're magnificent. They're pieces of art. So I think if people look at cars and museums as holes with, with everything they can, you know, and it, it tickles me because there's a lot to see, but when people come through and they say, is that all there is, you know they weren't really there to look. Uh, because we have people to spend four hours in the museum because of looking at everything and reading everything. Oh, I w- so, um, I'll bet you if I showed up there, I'd probably ask you for coffee and I probably and I give you coffee, and, and I try to talk to everyone. I don't give guided tours to everyone because I just preform groups. But um, I try to speak to everyone that walks past my office. I, I really do. Um, you know, it's a great job. I have the best job in the whole entire world. Um, everyone that comes to the museum or any museum is traveling. They're not at home. They're not doing dishes. They're not doing grass. They're not. They're they're traveling. I don't care if they're from Canton, Ohio or whether they're from halfway across the country. And everyone's in a good mood. Actually, so I get to talk to people. Sorry? Actually, I've got another business for you. Uh, oh, I, I, really? I've been, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes listening to you and, and wondering, I think you and I should go together, and we'll, we'll bring Jim in on it as well, but uh, I think we should be <laughs> selling the vitamins that you're taking. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny, you guys. Very uh, funny. I just have a lot of energy and a lot of passion. Would you uh, say that you're uh, an A-type personality? I'm not <laughs> a triple, quadruple, quadruple A, you think? You think? Oh, at least triple A. <laughs> All right. I go quadruple most of the time, but we'll go triple A. I'm sort of scared um, to come you know, to the museum. Just... You might attack us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are times when I'm quiet, believe it or not, and then people want to know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one of our mechanics yesterday had to go to the dentist, and he, and she, he said, seriously, you shut up long enough for her to work on your mouth? I'm like, very funny. But, you know, and my curators, I love them. I work with the best men on earth. They're amazing uh, gentlemen, and um, they will tell anyone that walks in, that if you ask where Char, especially one of them, he will say, well, you'll hear her before you see her. So um, that's their standing joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm okay with it because I control what they, when they work and if they work. So I'm good with it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you boys didn't ask yet what my boys' names are, what my son's names are. Um, well, Mason I, Carr. Yeah, no, one of them's probably Ransom and the other's Eli. 
Yuck. They are named after automobiles, not after, well, yeah, it could have been REO, but, right. you know. Um, no, we all know there's been thousands of automobiles uh, manufactured in the last hundred years. And I hope one of them's not named Edsel. <laughs> no, or Mercedes. Everybody guesses Mercedes and their boys. Uh, my oldest son's name is Cole, and the Cole automobile right. was built in 1909 in we, Indianapolis. We've right. had uh, the Cole Museum on, as a matter of fact. I'm sorry? We've had the Cole Museum on, as a matter of fact. Leroy Cole? Is Leroy still in Bangor, Maine? Yeah, we had the, their museum on. Yes, he's, they're lovely people. Um, and my youngest son's name is Chase, and the Chase automobile was built in 1907 in Syracuse, New York. Yes. In fact, Cole's middle name, the Cole was a Cole Arrow 8. It was a eight-cylinder automobile, and his middle name is Aaron, and Chase's middle name is Emerson, which was also an automobile built in New York. So, uh, but my husband didn't know that. For so, just a you know, I wanted to name him Cord, but my husband said they call him umbilical extension. How stupid is that? Well, you All could right, have named him Emmett Loban. If well, they, right, let's, let's, talk, let's get back to the museum a second. Uh, uh, yeah. what, what is the most, I know you and Jim talked a little bit about it, but in your huh? paraphernalia of other items, huh? uh, we talked about what you would like, you know, the Cord is your favorite car. What are some of the most unique uh, items that you have that go along with the with the era and and what what have you found in in collecting to be the most unique thing that has come into the museum? Um. Well, this is really silly, but the, we have a puffer fish, a blowfish. That <laughs> kids love that, and um, it has nothing to do with automobiles or anything. But that's something that people love. Um, we have a litter, which was actually given to President William McKinley in the museum. We have a whole room full of Asian artifacts, and uh, if you don't know what a litter is, it's a mode of, means of transportation, Japanese transportation, um, that you pick up on your shoulders, and they have a door that slides. It's 24 karat gold. It's absolutely magnificent, and it's very unique to any museum, let alone being given to President William McKinley, which, if you don't know, William McKinley was not born in Canton, but he did come to Canton to practice law. He ended up living in Canning, Canton, Ohio, getting married in Canton and meeting his wife, Ida Saxton, there. So um, we have a lot of McKinley artifacts as well as his uh, the mausoleum where he's, uh, he and his wife and his children are buried. Uh, so that's a really unique piece of, uh, of another means of transportation, but a really unique piece. We've got period fashions, and even the children yesterday walking past, there was a 1920s attire on a, on a female mannequin, and the, even the girls are just like, wow. You know, it was sort of, well, now it would be called bling, you know, back in the 20s. It wasn't called bling, you know, it may have called glitz. Uh, you know, sort of that Gatsby era type of thing, and uh, they just are en enthralled. Well, you know, kids are even enthralled with the 70s stuff. Of course, I'm not wearing that again, but, you know, we have platform <laughs> shoes, and um, there's a whole section of, of hats, and uh you just everywhere you look, um, there's something that oh signs. There are uh, advertising signs that were back in the 20s, which of course uh, we could never politically uh, use those today. Uh, you know, they are they are certainly not what something that we would put out. Uh, and so uh, people look at that and say, "Wow, I, I don't even remember when that was permitted." Uh, but it's history, and so. Um, and a lot of humor. Uh, we have a funeral parlor. As I mentioned previously, uh, we have a pair of uh, funeral cars, uh, professional cars, a flower car and a uh, hearse, 1937 Packards. And it's, they're sitting in between a funeral parlor. And there's a sign in that funeral parlor in between these automobiles that says dead end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, oh. uh, here's one for you. Who, ha who had the tiger in their tank? Tony had a tiger in his tank? Uh, what what uh, petroleum um, company? 
Oh, wait, wait, I can see it. I can see the orange. Oh, I want to say Exxon. You're right. Well, Humble. Humble, yes, okay. Which but became you know Exxon. Is? Yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. Nobody beats Dino. Nobody is Sinclair. Oh, Dino, okay. yes, I remember. That's right Dino Gasoline. And yes, D- Dino Sinclair. Oh, yeah, come on, Doc. We have a doctor that we're going to do a show uh, after this, uh, a pre-recording, and he's a classic car person. Unfortunately, it? he's so damn young that he's he's not a classic person. He's just... <laughs> Just owns a classic car. He's not old and an antique like Jim uh, Weber is. Oh, boy. Oh, you guys are bad. Yeah. You're going to have to come to Ohio. Now, I have roots in Georgia. You say you're in Atlanta. Yes, ma'am. I, I remember. Uh-huh. that. Uh, well, it, uh, mm-hmm. Jim's sort of like a big oak tree. He has roots everywhere. <laughs> well, I expect you gentlemen to eventually end up in Canton, Ohio at the Canton Classic Car Museum. Well, I, I've and been I in Canton, so, but I must admit I have not been to your museum, but it's on the uh, bucket list. On the bucket list. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I will the, tell you that. For the, right, for the right thing, we might do a remote from uh, Canton. I like that. There's a lot to do in Canton, Ohio. You know, you know something that I I would like to throw out to you, Shar, and and I can't think of anybody that could promote it any better than you, uh, is that I I've been trying to get Terry Ernest at NAM, the uh, director of NAM, to go along with this, and I I can't convince him. So maybe you could help us. But I would love to set up tours that people could take off for two or three weeks and travel the country going to different museums like Canton, like uh, the one down in Tallahassee, the new one out in Kansas City, and and set up tours of, of classic car museums. And uh, we would promote it here on uh, America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. Uh, what do you think of that idea? And you only got, well, by the way, you only got about 30 seconds, so we're going to have okay, to be breaking off here. Sure. I'll talk quickly. Terry's a friend of mine, of course, due to, as you said, NAM, uh, National Association of Automobile Museums. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think, you know, I encourage people to do that when they come to the museum. They say they're, they're seeing museums. And so I actually download the membership list from our NAM website and say, here, these are ones in every state. Uh, and, yeah, it's doable. There are a lot of people that, that do try to do that. If we did something nationally, I'm all for it. So, okay. uh, Terry, if you're listening, you know, uh, I'll be happy to help with anything I can. So. All righty. Well, right. Char, uh, we do appreciate it. We're going to have to wrap it up. It's uh, time to sure. put the... Uh, we're going to put the plug in the jug, Char. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. Happy motoring. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.